today we've said throughout our series on the Holy Spirit that the Spirit is, is usually the least understood person of the Trinity. Usually the Spirit is not talked about much in churches and is also the least appreciated, I think, of, of the Trinity. But over the past three or four weeks, we've seen how the Holy Spirit is absolutely crucial to our ability to follow Jesus in everyday life. He's the one that speaks truth into our lives, about ourselves, about the world. He's the one who speaks into our lives and says we're adopted as children of God. He's the one that speaks into our lives to seek to bring freedom to ourselves and, and as we live this life. And so today we're looking at one of the most talked about passages when it comes to the conversation about the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, where it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now think about that verse. Paul is comparing and contrasting being filled with the Spirit with being drunk with wine. Now that's one of the more unusual verses in Scripture if you really think about it. You know, that probably raises all kinds of questions. What does that mean? Does Paul mean that when we are filled with the Spirit, we no longer control ourselves? Is that the case? Many of us probably may not be interested in it. But, you know, or is that just about being filled with the Spirit and having some kind of ecstatic experience as a follower of Jesus? You know, I've attended many charismatic and Pentecostal churches over my life, and oftentimes there are individuals who are just thinking and looking for that kind of special experience. But is that what being filled with the Spirit really about? I don't think so. First, let me be pretty upfront and point out three simple observations about this verse to set the context. This verse is a command. We are being commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Paul here is not suggesting something that's good. He's commanding us as followers of Jesus to be filled with the Spirit. And this is the only place in Scripture where that is expressed like that as a command. Second, this is a command for every believer. The you in that verse is all around it is plural. He is not speaking to an individual. This is not just something for a special individual or for Paul or Billy Graham. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he is telling everyone there in that fellowship in us today that they should seek to be filled with the Spirit. And then thirdly, this is meant to be an ongoing experience. Paul is speaking in the active voice, and I'm not sure why translators don't translate this, but literally it means keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's not just a one-time event, that's meant to, but it's meant to be an ongoing experience in the life of every believer. If you read through the beginning of the book of Acts, three different times Peter is described as being filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing event in the life of every believer. It's not a one-time thing. So I hope that gets your attention and, 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 and get you thinking and asking this question, what does it really mean for my life as a follower of Jesus to be filled with the Spirit? You know, we'll talk more about this verse a little bit later here. But to understand it, I think we have to look at some of the other scriptures to get the context for what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Now, we talked about this earlier, and I'm sure most of you know the story of Jesus' interac interaction with Nicodemus in John 3. You know, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born again, meaning that he needs to have a spiritual birth to be reconnected to God. We're born physically, but we also need to be born spiritually to be connected to God through Jesus. So the first observation I want to make for you is when we follow Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to live within us. Now, we've talked about this before. Biblically, we would say, theologically, they would say, and in, in, in that kind of speak, 
when we follow Jesus, we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God only came upon certain people at certain times for certain purposes. It was not given to every believer in the Old Testament. You know, and so when, when people rejected God's work, like Saul, when Saul was anointed king, the Spirit came upon him, but when he rebelled and didn't follow God's command, God withdrew his Spirit. When Israel as a whole, not everybody, because all through history, whenever God's people drift or not faithful, there's always a remnant that he pursues. But when the Israel as a whole rejected worshiping and following God's commands, the prophets began to talk about the coming Messiah, Jesus. We know that. And one of the promises about this new work of God was that the Spirit of God would be for everyone who follows the Messiah at all times. And so Ezekiel writes, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, big S, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And so Isaiah is saying when Jesus came, the promise was that he was going to put, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes to live within us. You know, when someone is baptized in water after following Jesus, it's a declaration that they're, you know, that they're following Jesus. Being lowered into the water is a picture of putting the old life to dead. Raising out is a picture of the new life that God wants to bring. Well, it's just, it's a spiritual birth took place. Well, Paul uses the analogy of baptism, which means to be immersed, about being immersed in the Spirit when we come to faith in Jesus. He writes, But we were all baptized into one body through one Spirit. We were all made to share in the one Spirit. We're baptized in this Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes to live within us. So if we follow Jesus, we all have the Holy Spirit living within us. Being indwelt by the Spirit is a one-time event in our lives when we follow Jesus that can never be lost. We put our faith in Jesus, we are indwelt by the Spirit. It's a one-time event. And, and Scripture says God gave us the Spirit as a seal, a guarantee that we belong to God. So a seal, you know, in, in, in Jesus' day, in the Old Testament days, the king had a seal on his letter, and he knew that that message was coming from the king. It was his seal that this is my word. And, and so when Paul says that we are sealed, the Spirit acts as a seal to mean we belong to God. It's a guarantee that we belong to him. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, And it is God who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who also has put his seal on us, giving us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. When God seals us in the Spirit, he says he's never going to withdraw that. God wants us to know and to be sure that we're his child, we're adopted into his family, that we're heirs to all the promises that he made to Jesus. That, you know, as, as people, we can make wills. And, you know, the will says we'll pass on our estate on to our children. Now, as people, we can change our minds on that. You know, my wife, Sue Ellen, you know her story. She was disinherited by her father for 21 years, cut out of the will. When, when he brought her back in, it changed. He put her back in the will. But what Scripture is saying is God will never do that. <laughs> when God makes a promise, he is faithful. You know, you think about God made a covenant with Israel, and even though Israel 
as a whole rejected their part in that covenant, God says, I will be faithful. He's going to honor his covenant to Israel. God never, ever breaks his promise. So he says, when we commit to following Jesus, he makes a covenant with us that he'll never break even if we're unfaithful. God keeps his promises. We have the spirit indwelt in us that is to seal his guarantee that we belong to him. Now, being indwelt by the spirit is a one-time event that can never be lost. Being filled with the spirit is not the same. It's an ongoing, repeatable activity that can be lost. That can be lost. Why? Second observation. We can grieve or quench the Spirit's work in our lives when we ignore God. Paul writes in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. And that reminds us that the Spirit is a person. He's not a force or an energy. You know, you can't offend an inanimate, inanimate object. You can only offend a person. If you ask Sue Ellen, she can tell you, I can offend her. <laughs> you know, we all do. If you're married or in a relationship, we know that happens. But Paul is saying is that when we offend the Spirit, we limit his work in our lives. You know, all around our church, if you walk, you'll see fire extinguishers. You know, we have a company coming in every year to check them to make sure they work because we have a nursery school here. We're a public meeting place. And if a little fire breaks out, the purpose of the fire extinguisher is you can grab it and you can hopefully put that fire out before it becomes serious. Well, in, in many ways, Paul is saying we can be like that fire extinguisher in our own heart. We can inhibit and literally put out the Spirit's work in our lives. We can limit his ability to work. We can extinguish his work in our lives, even though we're indwelt by the Spirit. What he's saying is we won't experience the life, the purpose, the peace, the satisfaction, the wholeness that God wants to bring to each of our lives, even though we committed to following Jesus, even though we're indwelt by the Spirit. So there are two main ways, I think, that we can quench the Spirit or grieve the Spirit in our lives. We can quench the Spirit's work when we choose to ignore and disobey God's commands. You know, Isaiah speaks about how Israel quenched the Spirit, God's work in their lives, because they disobeyed God's commands. In Isaiah 63, they worshiped other gods. They committed adultery. They perverted justice. They took advantage, instead of helping the poor, marginalized, widows, and orphans, they took advantage of them. They abused them. And, and so... In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about grieving the Spirit. And then he talks all around that. He says, when one holds anger and refuses to forgive, we're grieving the Spirit. We limit the Spirit's work in our lives. When we speak crudely or slander other people, we limit the Spirit's work in our lives. David is a classic example of this. You know, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. And then he has her husband killed in battle. When the prophet Nathan <laughs> speaks the truth into David's life, in his great psalm of confession in Psalm 51, David pleads with God not to remove his spirit from him because at that point he knew that's what happened to Saul. And, 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 and that could happen in the Old Testament. He pleads that we not remove his spirit from him because he knows that is essential to his life in serving God. And he writes this, Cast me not away from your presence, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David recognizes that disobedience quenches the Spirit's work. 
and keeps us from experiencing the full measure of God, life that God wants to give us. And then we can limit the Spirit's work when we don't take the time to get to know the real Jesus. We limit the Spirit's work when our Bible only collects dust on a table or a bookshelf at home and we make no real effort to learn about Jesus and how he wants us to live. We limit the Spirit's work in our lives when we're not talking to God and asking him to reveal himself in our lives day by day. You know, in that opening prayer we read from Ephesians 3, Paul prays for and expresses a desire that we would know the power of his Spirit in our inner being. In other words, that we would be filled with his Spirit. And then he goes on to tell us how that happens when he prays, that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the question for each of us always is, do we have that hunger to know more and more about Jesus, to let his love fill our thoughts, hearts, and lives? You know, in Colossians 3.16, Paul encourages us to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, taking the words of Jesus, the words of Scripture into our lives that we would see and hear and understand. We limit the Spirit's work if we don't have a hunger to know Jesus better. And I want to point this out to you. Being filled with the Spirit is not about getting more of the Spirit, but it's about letting the Spirit control more and more of our life. Think about that. Being filled with the Spirit is not about getting more of the Spirit, but it's about letting the Spirit control more and more areas of our life. Okay? When we're born again, we have all the Spirit that God gives us. It's all there, right within us. We have the Spirit. But being filled with is about letting the Spirit control more and more areas of our lives and how we live, how we think, how we act, and what we do in ministry. So third observation, the filling of the Spirit is intended to bless and minister to other people. To be filled with the Spirit is not an end in itself intended just to bless our own life, although that is a side benefit, to make us feel good and to make us have the super spiritual experience. That's not what it's primarily about. As you read through Acts, everywhere it talks about God's people being filled with the Spirit, it's always in the context of sharing Jesus with those outside the church or in the context of encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. The filling of the Spirit is meant for ministry. In Acts 2, we're told, and I'm going to take you through a few scriptures in Acts here really quickly. In Acts 2, we're told that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They began to speak in other foreign tongues, praising God. Why? They were witnessing to other Jews who came to Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. They were filled for the purpose of sharing Jesus. In Acts 4, Peter and John were arrested for continuing to talk about Jesus. And the religious rulers, the same rulers that had Jesus crucified, call them in to speak to them. And they tell them not to stop speaking. To stop speaking about Jesus. And then... Acts 4, Peter and John, it says this, in Acts verse 8 we're told, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and peepers of the elder. He was declaring the gospel to the rulers, the ones who crucified Jesus. That's where he's filled with the Spirit. You know, and then when they're released, 
they return to the other disciples and they pray for boldness to speak the name of Jesus. That even though they were told to stop speaking, they go back and pray, God, help us to continue to speak the name of Jesus. And verse 31 tells us the place in which they were gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Being filled with the Spirit is about ministry. It's not about some special experience that we get. It's about ministry. In Acts 6, Luke tells us there was a dispute between Hebrew and Greek widows over the distribution of food. So the disciples go to the church in Jerusalem and say, appoint seven men full of the Holy Spirit to oversee this ministry within the church. Again, those men were chosen, people were chosen, why? To oversee ministry and encouragement within the church to serve. And then Stephen, one of those seven, is chosen, and he's described as a man being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Acts goes on and says he was doing great signs and wonders among all the people. He was bearing testimony. He was ministering. When Stephen is arrested and the Jewish ruling council are about to put him to death, stone him to death, he's the first martyr, Acts 7 tells us, but he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And then Luke tells us that he went on to bear testimony to these people who were about to put him to death and ask God to forgive them, even as Jesus did on the cross. He's filled with the Spirit. Why? Because he's ministering even in his moment of death. When the Gentiles begin to follow Jesus in Antioch, the disciples send Barnabas there to check it out. Because remember, the early believers didn't think Gentiles could become Christians unless they became Jews first. Okay? They had a hang-up. And Luke tells us, when Barnabas saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord. Why? Because Barnabas is described as being filled with the Spirit. And he realized God was doing a new work. So instead of questioning that work, he encouraged the believers. He saw beyond what he was used to. And then when Barnabas and Saul began their first missionary journey, they visit Antioch and Pisidia. And they spend time teaching about Jesus, and many come to faith. And then when some of the leading Jews in the city rose up to oppose Paul, to persecute them because they were saying Jesus is the Messiah, um, they left the city and Luke writes, and the disciples there were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Why? Even though there was persecution because Jesus was being preached, people were coming to faith and God was still working. You know, I, I can remember a few incidences in my life, one really clearly, and, 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 and I wish I could say I could remember many more incidences. It was the summer of my freshman year in college, and I spent the summer on a beach project with what was known as Campus Crusade for Christ. And what they did at various resort beaches around the country, every summer they would have 35, 40 college students come, and you'd work there a job to support you would receive training, and then you'd go out and share Jesus with people on the beach. This was in 1971. You know, the Jesus movement was full swing. People were actually interested and open to talking about Jesus. That's not the same anymore. <laughs> but it, that was just part of the era. And, and so I remember one particular night, another guy, Robert and myself, were going out to share with people just sitting on the beach. And we had the sense that God wanted to do something special that evening. We just knew it. And we prayed and asked God for the Spirit to, to guide us and direct us. And that night, we talked to three different people, and each one of those people committed their lives to following Jesus. It was awe-inspiring. We just sensed that God wanted to do something. That was the Spirit of God working. You see, the filling of the Spirit is intended to bless and minister to other people. 
It's not just meant to be a spiritual high for ourselves. It's meant to point people to Jesus. Now, having that context of what we just talked about, let's go back to Paul's most unusual command, Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, obviously, Paul is comparing and contrasting being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. So the question we have to ask is, how are they alike and how are they unalike? And, and the best explanation I saw of this came from Tim Keller at Redeemer Presbyterian Church and how they're alike and unalike. And, and first, how they're alike. You know, in Acts 2, the disciples are withdrawn. They're keeping to themselves. They're hiding. They're not in public. You know, when Jesus was arrested, they scattered. They ran. Then when the Spirit comes upon them, what do they do? They begin to speak with great boldness, fluency, and joy. It's as though suddenly their shyness, their uncertainty was gone. They're no longer hiding or withdrawn. Instead, they are boldly declaring who Jesus is to people who help put Jesus to dead. They're going to the temple where people are gathering and speaking about Jesus. You know, oftentimes when someone speak, drinks too much wine or alcohol or whatever, what? They lose their inhibitions and they say and do things they wouldn't normally do. Well, that's what the disciples were doing. They were doing things they had not done. That was not part of their DNA. And the people looked at them, and many people looked at them and said, they must be drunk. Because they were boldly declaring who Jesus was in a way that they never had before. They were carrying on in a way that was different and seemed a little crazy. They were filled with boldness, joy, outgoing, standing in public and declaring, not running or hiding anymore. But in many ways, I think the key to understand what Paul is, 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 is saying is found in how being filled with the Spirit and being drunk are, are different and not alike. I think Paul grasps intuitively what we knew scientifically today, that alcohol is a depressant. Alcohol is a depressant. It depresses and diminishes part of our brain function. So we kind of lose touch with reality. We say or do things that are totally inappropriate to the reality that is around us. Our awareness of the world around us is diminished. And, and so what Paul is saying, but what Paul, I think, is saying is, what's different is, it seems to suggest that when we are filled with the Spirit, we are really, we are more in touch with reality because we see the spiritual realities that are there, that are real and true. Our, our grasp of reality isn't diminished. Our grasp of reality is enhanced. In verses 15 to 17, before that passage in Ephesians we read, Paul tells us that we'll become more aware of the world around us. We're aware of what we're doing and how we're acting. Chris, if you bring up that, yeah. Then we're seeking to do the wise things. We're, and what is, you know, we're doing the wise things. Not the crazy things. We're using our time productively, making most of the time. We're tuned into how God would have us live and act. So what Paul is saying is when we're filled with the Spirit, we're more in touch with reality. But when we're drunk with wine or alcohol, we lose touch with reality. You know, a very clear example is seen in 2 Kings 6. In 2 Kings 6, this is a story... A chapter, the king of Syria was waging war against Israel. 
but he was constantly being frustrated. He had no success because the prophet Elijah was speaking God's words to the king of Israel and telling him what they do. So the king of Syria was never successful. So he decides to send all his army and his chariots to surround the city where Elisha is so he could capture, kill him, take him away so that Israel would have no success. He was planning on seizing Elisha. So in the morning, after the city is surrounded, Scripture tells us that the servant of Elijah got up, walked out, and looked out and said, Oh my, look at the army and all the chariots surrounding the city. He goes to Elijah, what are we going to do? And Elijah says to him, you know, don't worry. God is greater than, than the army that's sitting around us. And, and you can imagine the servant scratching his head. And so it, King tells us that Elijah pray, Elisha prays that God would open the eyes of his servant to see what Elisha saw, to see the true spiritual reality. And this is what happened. 2 Kings 6.17 says, The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. He saw the spiritual reality that God was in charge, that Elisha would be safe, the people would be safe, that God would protect them. Now, it's, it's a spiritual reality. They saw what God, he saw what God could do. And, and, and so being filled with the Spirit opens our eyes and hearts to see and understand just who God is and what he can do and what he will do. So the fourth observation is this. Being filled with the Spirit opens our hearts to see reality as God sees it. Instead of being caught up in the circumstances or immediate problems of life and becoming overwhelmed, we're able to look beyond the circumstances and recognize that God is still at work and will accomplish his purposes. And so how I relate that is, is to us where we are right now. You know, Paul, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, they were fearful because Paul was in prison. They thought, but Paul being in prison in Rome was the best thing that ever happened because the gospel spread throughout the Roman Empire because of his time there. And so, you know, think about where we are. You know, from the time the sanctuary is condemned and God intervened, God has intervened in the life of us as a church time and time and time again. In my seven years, he intervened in times that we never sought. He just brought resources, people to us. That doesn't happen to a small little historic church. I can tell you that. It just doesn't happen. God has always had a purpose and he's always worked with us. Maybe it hasn't worked out the way we wanted it to work out in a sense of seeing the people's pews filled with people. Okay? And so we can look at that and be scared and look to the future and say, wow, you know, it's going to be different. We're going to be losing. And God says, no. I've been with you. I'm going to be with you. Open your eyes and to see I still have a purpose for this church and it serve. And it will be different. It will look different. It might not be the same as it was in the past. But he is still working. And I'll say this right now, and I'll say this. Right now, I'm in conversations with three different people that would want to join in. Again, that's amazing. So you have to understand, being filled with the Spirit, the purpose of that is for us to open our eyes to see the reality of God and what He is doing, to not get swallowed up by circumstances, but to understand the full measure of who He is and what He can do. And so when Paul prays for the 
church at Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit. He's praying for us to say, don't get caught up in the circumstances. Ask God to fill your mind and heart with His Spirit to see what He is doing and be encouraged. So let's think about what we've said so far, what it means to be filled with the Spirit first. When we follow Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to live within us. We get the full measure of the Spirit. We don't get just a little bit of Him, and we get more later on. No, we get the full measure of the Spirit. We get them all. We're indwelt. It's a one-time gift that God will never take back because the Spirit is the seal and the guarantee that we belong to Jesus and Him, His family. Second, we can grieve or quench the Spirit's work in our lives when we ignore God. Being indwelt by the Spirit is not the same thing as being filled with the Spirit. We have a responsibility to learn more and more about God, to seek to live as He would have us to live. As we pursue knowing and understanding who Jesus is and let Him shape our lives, our lives more and more are controlled by His presence, by His Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is not about getting more of the Spirit. It's about letting more of the Spirit control our lives. Third, the filling of the Spirit is intended to bless and minister to other people. The purpose of ministry is not about pointing people, it's about pointing people to Jesus and about encouraging one another in the church. It's not about some special ecstatic experience. It's about seeing who God is and what he's doing and sharing that with others. And then finally, being filled with the Spirit opens our hearts to see reality as God sees it. When we're filled with the Spirit, God helps us to see and understand who he is, to understand what Jesus has done and how much he loves us, to understand his purposes so much more clearly, to recognize that when God is with us, nothing is impossible, that he will accomplish his purposes in our lives and the lives of the church. The circumstances of life, the challenges of life we face are not too big for God, and nothing will thwart his purposes. That's seeing the spiritual reality. And so lastly, I just want to highlight a couple of things that Paul says that I mentioned briefly that will characterize our lives when we're filled with the Spirit. You know, I said being filled with the Spirit puts us completely in touch with reality around us. Paul writes, look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, but unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is the practical application of biblical truth to real-life situations. Being filled with the Spirit is not some Pollyanna view that we just ignore reality. Being filled with the Spirit, Paul is saying, is we recognize reality. We recognize the challenges around us. But we also are fully aware that God will lead us and he'll provide what we need. And the Spirit will make God's leading very clear. And then Paul says we'll want to sing and proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. Paul says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. What he's saying is there's a desire to lift up the name of Jesus, whether that's in worship with other believers, whether that's in our conversation with the people around us. Why? Because the Spirit's job is to minister to people. And then he says, and we'll always find a sense of joy and strength despite the circumstances. Paul goes on to say that we'll be giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, that's not giving thanks for the difficulties. That's not giving thanks for the sickness. It's giving thanks that God is with us, that he'll never leave us alone, and he'll walk with us through whatever challenges we face. And so when we come to God with thankfulness, we're opening our lives up to let God speak into our lives, that he'll be faithful to our promises. That's a source of joy. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, at times we'll be sorrowful, but we'll still be rejoicing, giving thanks that God is still with us. And then finally, Paul says, we'll be characterized by a healthy humility that will always be thinking about others, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We only won't be thinking selfishly about what I want or need, but we'll find the ability to bless others. Isn't that what Jesus was about? Paul writes in Philippians, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself, being born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. I have to laugh. Yesterday, some of you have been up in Living Waters, knew a few times we've had a couple visit, Quinn and Kira, and, and they, they were losing their lease in, in, um, in Lowell, and if they, they didn't have Section 8, but they had a voucher. They couldn't find a place, so they were moving back to Haverhill to a friend who was allowing them to come live in their apartment. And they needed help moving because they didn't have any financial resources. So I helped them move with my van. And I have to tell you, the beginning, I was so angry. I mean, they had had months to prepare. They hadn't done anything really to prepare. They were in utter chaos. They didn't know what they were doing. The man was constantly on the phone, and I have to say, look, if I'm going to do this, you need to be doing this. Put the phone down, get up, and work. And about uh, two hours in, I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be angry here. <laughs> That's the wrong attitude. You know, Paul says, humble ourselves, that we're just there to serve, and that's all that was there to serve. And that was a change of attitude. But see, that's what, what Paul is saying. The Spirit makes a difference in our life and how we approach life, how we approach situations. Now, I don't know about you, but I do know yesterday was much more enjoyable when I could let go of that and realize why I was there doing it. It's a much better way to live than being angry, being unforgiving. You know, at one point I wanted to throw his phone out of the car. Just get rid of it. <laughs> but that's not the way to live. That's a lousy way to live. To pray for the Spirit to be at work in our lives, in the life of our church, in the lives of those around us, if we let the Spirit control more and more of our lives, that's where we find the joy, the peace, the purpose. Even now, even as we struggle with where we're going. And uh, let me read those verses from Paul again. For the reason I bow my knees before the Father, through whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that you may be filled with the Spirit. How do you pray for yourself right now? How do you pray for the church right now? How do you pray for those around you? That's one of the things we need to be praying for each other and for the church and leadership, that we would see what God is doing and, and understand and know his will and that we would see his purposes and what he's doing.